I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. here today with Eric Qualman and uh, Eric it's it's great to see you uh, of course I've heard about you many times and you're one of the world's leading authorities on social media uh, you've been described as the Tony Robbins of tech uh, but I also feel like we kept missing each other <laughs> we've, we've been on the same conferences so many times and uh, but generally one of us has gotten to plane before no and it's been great today I got to see you perform live and this <laughs> sounds like a plug that I was set up for but no it's wonderful to see you live I've watched you from afar and so I'm a huge fan my wife's a bigger fan but uh, <laughs> we're both big fans it's I, good I, I think I think the first time I came across your, your work was when we were both in South Africa and uh, do you remember we it was, it was this weird safari camp set up for the Richmond group no it was fantastic and it was just I, I was kind of going is this surreal I remember sitting at a dinner in a tent and there's giraffes <laughs> and you could see the silhouettes of the giraffes walking behind us and I was having a conversation with skateboarder Tony Hawk, and I'm sitting there going, I'm in Africa, and they're going to have the World Cup in a week. And I'm in the middle of this safari area having dinner with Tony Hawk in a tent. This just is weird. Telling the CEO yeah. of Cartier what social media was. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they're the CEO of the Cartier. They had uh, IWC, Blanc, and all that. Yeah, it was extraordinary. And, and uh, you know, I, I think w one of the things that's always fascinated me about what you've done is that you've taken the complexity of the world that's changing it and, and, and sort of brought it together in a form often with your videos that people sort of grasp just the enormity of, of the revolution that's going on. Yeah, we always I always like this quote, and I'm going to get it wrong, but with Mark Twain that always used to say that, you know, geniuses write books that are like wine. My books are like water, but everyone drinks water. <laughs> and so that's what Mark Twain always said, is try to make it simpler. I don't know how many conferences I've gone to where the first thing they did is play your video. <laughs> no, it's nice to say, no, it's, it's crazy how, how that took off. So yeah. it's been humbling and I'm glad that people find it of use. So it's been great. Let's talk a little bit about your journey. Uh, before all of this began, you, you were actually at TravelZoo, right? You're I was, yeah. I was the head of marketing at TravelZoo. And before that, I had different different jobs. I had some big, some small. So I was at Yahoo kind of when they were the the well, color of cool the day, like the cool place to work and like the Facebook of the day. And I worked at AT&T back when we were trying to figure out, can you take a landline order online? And, and they're worried that, oh, they're going to put weird names in the phone book. So, <laughs> you know, it's good to have that kind of baseline. But you're right. I was ahead of marketing at TravelZoo. And then I saw social media and I said, whoa, this is going to change the way we do everything. What was it that you really saw that, that really led you to realize that it wasn't going to be just be about search engines? Yeah, I know it was, it was fascinating because search was the hot, yeah, the white hot thing. And this was kind of in the early 2000s, right? Yeah, so we're at conferences like SES all talking about search. There's 500 breakout sessions and I'm the guy talking about social and my crowds are getting tiny and tiny and tiny. Because social then was actually MySpace. Yeah, social was MySpace <laughs> which and classmates.com. Kind of, which is really the wild west of, uh, you know, of content back then. Yeah, that was crazy. And so people were, they were close to me going, you're crazy, you're killing your brand. You know, you might get fired from TravelZoo because they'd be like, what are you talking about this teenage stuff at these business conferences? And then fortunately, I stuck with it, even though the crowds dwindled. And then we wrote the book. Someone in the audience said, you got to talk to my publisher. And I go, I never thought about writing a book. That'd be cool. Let's do it. And then I was fortunate to get a deal uh, with Big Publisher. And then we wrote Socialnomics. And then it went number one for marketing books, not overall, yeah. for eight countries. So it was cool. 
what was the, the kind of the core idea at the heart of social nomics? The, the core idea is just word of mouth on digital steroids. Yeah. And also that it's less about technology, don't be intimidated about it, it's about relationships. So it's not replacing the offline, it's really augmenting when time and distance are an issue. And also understanding that now social nomics is we can actually use the power of everyone that has information that I can use my peers' information for my purchasing decisions. So what do they like? What don't they like? It's really interesting because, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in uh, China and Japan and Korea. Uh, and in some ways, even before MySpace and Friendster, they were already through bulletin boards. Word of mouth was the core marketing mm -hmm. uh, engagement strategy for brands. It almost feels like we've just sort of caught up now. Yeah, catching up and just word of mouth has always been the best form of sales. Yeah, and so and net, net promoter scores, right? Right, and so now it's just, now it's at scale. So that's what mobile and social has enabled, that word of mouth is now in the digital stories, it's at scale. Um, so it's a huge shift for businesses, for politics, for everybody, so it's great. One of the challenges that businesses have had, you know, even in the early days, and probably still now to some extent, is that it's, it's intuitive how you as an individual uh, can manage your reputation. Mm -hmm. But how do you do that at scale? Uh, in the past, you'd hire an ad agency yeah. to kind of develop your brand and to make sure that you know you had a palette of colors and mm -hmm. you had you could really control things. But but how do you set a sort of a corporate wide strategy around that talking yeah. to customers? It's fascinating. So it needs to be inside. You got to have your ducks in a row. So yeah. if you want your customer to take your, your your customer owns your brand, but in order for them to take the brand where you want it to go, as I always ask the three questions: Why? W H I though. So what's the mission of the company? How do you differ from the competition? And if you went away tomorrow, that's really important to millennials, if you went away tomorrow, what's the loss to society? Like, what are you really doing? You're not selling diamond rings, you're selling dreams, right? Hmm. And so what's the hole you leave to society? So it's the WHI. And when I work with companies and ask those three questions, only about 9% are on the same page. <laughs> and so those are pretty basic questions. If you're not on the same page internally, it's gonna be a mess externally. And so that's how you can manage it the best way is make sure you're all on the same page with those three core questions. And it's not only for marketing, that's core to everything you do as business. So if the only hole you leave in the universe is a couple of annoying spam emails, you're in trouble, right? Right, because you can't <laughs> motivate your employees. There's just not a lot of passion behind it because people want to feel like they're given, given something back. So authenticity and values is really the starting place, is it? It is, yeah. And if you look at the book, What Happens in Vegas Stays on YouTube, one of the rules. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a good, it's a great title. <laughs> Thanks. Is, and we've had fun with it. But if you look at that, there's a bunch of rules in there. And rules is a bad term, but it's really about rules, how do you produce your best reputation, and the rules on how to protect it. Right. Uh, but one of the things we talk about is that integrity and reputation used to be two different things. That's where there's two different words. So integrity is what you stood for behind closed doors hmm. as an individual or as a business, and your reputation is what the public perceived you to be. And those could be completely different. Uh, but now with a fully transparent world, with what you talk about, all these advances in technology, we live in a fully transparent world, privacy's dead, integrity and reputation are the same thing. So it's a monumental shift for businesses and also society. I remember Eric Schmidt years ago saying that we may reach a point where kids will have to legally change their name as a thermonuclear option on their <laughs> digital reputations. No, you're, I mean, Ashley, uh, there's a day after day. The good thing about the book is that there's always examples every day when I turn on the TV or get stuff pushed to me on Twitter. Um, Ashley Madison's a good example of last month. 32 million people in that database. Those aren't familiar with it. It's basically, if you're married, it's a way for you to, to have Match.com to meet other married people or single people. 
uh, but they were hacked into. That whole database was revealed, so you could actually Google anyone's name and see if they're in the database. So <laughs> that's kind of the impetus of the book was produce your best and then protect it. Don't do anything you wouldn't want to tell your mom about. Uh, it's almost like we're all now running for office. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. No, it's uh, good. And, uh, uh, it's, it's the politicians that used to only get the scrutiny of, <laughs> of the public, but what does reputation now really mean in the 21st century? Yeah, I think what it means is just like, who can I trust? And so whether it's you're looking at the big four players, whether it's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, when they're, they're kind of compete Google, like who's going to win out there? I bet the winner is going to be who do I trust with my information? Right. Or at a local small business level, who do I want to do business with? You know, who can you I, choose to opt out? To just to be off the grid? Yeah. But as a brand or, do you, or as an individual, is that even a... Uh, if reputation is so important, if, you, if you're yeah. a company or, or you're someone trying to build your career, opting out is just not really an option anymore, is it? You know, I always like to say you can go that path, but it's going to be really difficult for you and you get no control or influence over what's being said out there. Right. So I'm more of a fan of get a lot of stuff out there so that you, when you make a mistake, it's just one piece of your story uh -huh. rather than your entire story. So actually hide in disclosure. Right, it's just uh, someone uses that is in my audience just said it's like dilution. It's like, yeah, I haven't met a perfect human being or a perfect company. So the more you can have out there to tell you all parts of your story, and some of it's going to be negative, you're going to make a mistake, but what do you do when it comes to that mistake? And so that's one of the rules we talk about is being flossom. Uh, people don't think you're awesome through your perfection. They think you're awesome as a brand or as an individual by when you make a mistake, what are you doing to fix it? Do you think that's cultural? Because uh, in America, there's a, there's a lot of respect for people that yeah. come out and say, look, I screwed up, but I learned from it. Mm -hmm. But if, you're, if you've grown up in, in Asia, uh, mistakes are fatal. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the problems, for example, being an entrepreneur in Japan is that if you perceive to have failed, you're actually a menace to society. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, Germany, different yeah. cultures. Uh, if you always ask me, like, how can everything come out of Silicon Valley? Like, how could it all come out of this? Like, oh, because they've accepted that failure is part of the process, right. that it's fail fast, fail forward, fail better. And so people feel more comfortable often in Silicon Valley hiring on a CEO that's actually done it before and might have failed because they've learned from it. Hmm. Um, so I think you're starting to see it a little bit with other countries where that cultural shift, you know better than I do, it's not gonna happen overnight, but they're starting to understand, okay, that's part of it. And so we need to understand that that's part of this entrepreneurial spirit, that of course we're not gonna get it right the first time. And as long as it's ethical, yeah. that it's okay to make a mistake. Where do you focus your attention then? Uh, there's, there's such a proliferation of platforms and places where you can build your brand and reputation that mm -hmm. you could easily spend most of your time building a reputation and, and actually have no time left to actually do anything useful. Yeah, I mean, everyone, no, you're right. <laughs> I, I know I see kids today, like, and they, they spend so much time updating their social media, I think they actually think they're doing work. Yeah, no, I call it like a throughput trap. And so whether it's Instagram posts, tweets, emails, um, is you got to avoid these throughput traps because a lot of times it might be your teams working. They're working hard. You know, they're actually, quote unquote, doing work. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they don't have any output to show for it. So output, are you designing that dress? Are you writing that screenplay? Are you writing that marketing plan? Whatever that, are you calling those five clients that you haven't called the last three days, even though you say this will take five minutes and you don't call them? Um, and so when you look at throughput, you gotta avoid that trap. And one story that I told on stage this morning was that as the head of travel zoo marketing, is that I get about 1,200 emails a week, which isn't 
beyond the norm. That's about what you get. The average person gets about 1,200 emails a week. And you go on vacation, it's not really vacation because you take your device, you don't even, or you come back and you have 1,200 emails to plow through. So what I did was I put an out of office reply that said, thanks for your email, this server is temporarily full. <laughs> and so I wasn't lying, I was using the word server. And then I got back and long story short, I deleted all the emails, I was super stressed out about it. But then the story is only eight people thought I was important enough to resend the emails. Uh, and so that's how little throughput matters. It's all about the output. What, what do you think on social media? these days is where you should focus your, your most attention. Like where, where do you get the maximum leverage? Is it on Twitter? Is it on Facebook? Uh, Google Plus now seems to be going the way of the dodo. Um, should you just be writing blog posts on Medium? I mean, what? Yeah. Like wh where is your best efforts? So I always say don't follow the tool, follow the trend. So invest in the trend. So right. don't invest in Lycos, Dogpile, Excite. Invest in search. Like right. it's not going away. Invest in social. It's not going away. I think most people don't even know what those words yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, and they shouldn't. That's <laughs> part of the part of the reason I bring that up. Is you don't know what those are, so you shouldn't have invested in those. But you should have invested in search. Hmm. So be nimble, and the tools because they're going to change. We know that. You talk about that. We know the tools are going to change. So then just so what, what's the trend here? So the trend is, I mean, in terms of like the tools themselves, not the or, tools, but I mean, like, should people be investing in their time in content or in? Building distribution. Building relationships. Right. So invest in the trend, invest in your people, employees, customers. And so always invest. In your, so people always say, I don't have time to do social. I go, what you just told me is you don't have time to invest in your customer. Right. And so that's what. So you really mean the the, the, the actual meaning of social. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> which, what which is. Which is like building your real human networks. It's de developing the real human network. I've never met someone that said that was a, oh, that was a waste of my time developing that relationship. Uh, networks at the heart of you know human society right from the very beginning mm -hmm. you know i i was reading that great book sapiens uh, yeah. and if you saw it it was about like the you know why homo sapiens ultimately outmatched the neanderthals it wasn't because they were stronger smarter or uh, heavier set it was because of gossip mm. and they were able to tell more compelling stories you know which brought the world to life it was as a survival mechanism no i have to check that i know i've heard <laughs> good things about the book but no yeah. it's exactly a lot of the stuff I talk about, I go, look, it's not technology, it's just relationships. Take the word technology out and all you're doing is relationships. So when time and distance are an issue, these tools are there not to replace face-to-face, -face, they're there to augment it when time and distance are an issue. Right. So what's coming next then, do you think? Uh, I mean, it, it, in some ways it, it feels like we have a level of fatigue among, among all the, uh, the updates that, yeah. <laughs> that we have to do. And it, it, it still just takes ages to mm -hmm. do an Instagram and... I don't want to see another filter ever again. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? There seems to be some friction around around the process. Yeah, I think there's huge business opportunities. It takes five minutes to post your latest meal, whatever it is you're posting. It takes It's a hassle. And uh, there's also on the other side, there's just too much. Hmm. So there's no filter on the other end. So like what's quality, what's not. Right. So in my mind, there's a huge business opportunity to where you just, you're not manually doing it this year. And you're just like, okay, I'm sharing, turn it on. I'm sharing, whether it's Google contact lenses, however it's resolved. And there's an algorithm that works out what's meaningful and significant, right? It could be an algorithm or a business in the short term goes, okay, let's just do it manually so that then we'll oh, figure wow. out the algorithm. But every week it's so just- It's like a, the mechanical Turk. Right, it could be- Looking at a live stream of people's lives and working out what to share. I mean, I'm a big fan of mechanical turking stuff. And then if it's a business for it, then figuring out how to That's automate cool. it. That's cool, yeah. But it's, it could be, look, if every week, I just want you to send two minutes of the kids' videos to my parents. 
just automatically send it oh, wow. the best that, of the kids' that, video. That is a pain point that someone right. needs to solve. Yeah. So, I mean, there's huge opportunities. So, that, that in my mind's big. I think that mobile voting is going to be huge. You know, Hillary's right here. Uh, we might run into her tonight because they're having the debate right down from our rooms. Not yeah. that we're sharing a room, but down from our individual <laughs> rooms. And uh, so, we might run into her and run into Bernie. But uh, mobile voting is going to be huge. And that's just a gigantic impact. Third world, when you think about all the problems they have at voting, just to get 90% of the votes just in the United States or wherever it might be. And this could so. not just be um, online democracy. I mean, this is really real-time democracy right. in that it could just be, you could vote on everything. Right? Mm -hmm. I think there was, there was a country that experimented with that. I think it was Estonia. They yeah, there's some of those. It's going to start third world and first because it's just that they're not as politically tied up and they need it maybe more. But yeah, no, it's going to be great. I can't wait for that. That's what gets me excited. and. Obviously, driverless cars gets me super pumped. But the voting thing's interesting to me because then it brings in a different questions, right? Yeah. So to where, does it have to be one-day voting? Does that really make sense? Just like how education's being disrupted. Why is it, oh, I take the exam on one day, how we grew up? That doesn't make sense. So now people can take the exam four times during the week so as long it, as they it, learn the it's, material. It's more like continuous polling then, isn't continuous it? Continuous polling, I can see, and I might be able to change my vote yeah. right up to the date. So I can see, oh, you voted? For this person, why? Let me find out why. Why did you vote for this person? Oh, or I can see who's voting for who. And so it might be just, I'm getting like way ahead of it, but that's No, I mean, you're, you're touching on something that, that, yeah. that's wondering, I've been wondering about for a while, which is that all the apps that we use daily are actually conditioning us to rate people continuously. Mm -hmm. uh, Uber's a great example. I mean, mm -hmm. there's, there's this whole weird, like uh, sub subverted <laughs> politics around Uber ratings. Right. You know, and, uh, I find it weird because people assume that if it was okay, she could give it a five. But for me, five growing up was like the best movie you ever saw. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Um, and I'd, it never even occurred to me that drivers were rating me or that I should even care. <laughs> no, a lot of people don't know that the, the, the rider's being rated, but it makes sense that the person's late, if they get sick in your car, if they're swearing, if they're smoking in the car. So it's a two-way street. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> There, there was some controversy of someone setting up a Yelp for human beings. Uh, uh, then that sort of disappeared. Uh, is this just the beginning of a, of a whole avalanche of apps that will allow us to rate each other? I think so. I think there's a fine line. The people, the P-E-E-P-L-E -E -E app that came out where you could rate people. Hmm. Uh, people don't realize you're already being rated on a tool called LinkedIn right. with your endorsements and your recommendations. So it's just... A different skin on it so, so to speak but yeah I think that in time you're gonna be rated just like if you go to a restaurant you're not just rating the overall restaurant that you can actually rate the server yeah or back in they see that data so that the, the restauranteur goes wait Josie always gets five us five star reviews for the overall restaurant whereas Tim we always get two star reviews and let's look at their gratuities Tim's are only 10% and Josie's are 20%. So then those people are being rated on performance that right. way. So it's a different way to use analytics. A little scary, but. Yeah, uh, I mean, then we're going beyond just sort of a feel good fact about someone likes you or not. It right. actually has tapped into your remuneration, your yeah. career path, everything. Sure, no, it's, it's uh, different times, but I think that it could be scary, change is scary, but when you look at it at a, a very high level, when you think about privacy being dead, net net most of it's good. Like politicians can't lie. Um, it's harder to cheat on your spouse. Um, there's different things. It's a whole shift. 
Um, and I'm not a psychologist. I just stayed at a Holiday no. Express last night. But there's long-term implications. We don't know what they are that are negative. But as a net net, it's positive. I wonder whether it's going to be an increasing source of stress that we're constantly under observation. Like, I, I, you know, in Australia and Tasmania, they, they actually built one of those famous Panopticon prisons, mm. uh, which I don't know if you've, you've heard about no, this. No, please explain. It, it, it's, it's a prison where effectively you're always watched because there's a guard tower that's facing you and you never know whether someone's actually there or not. Oh. So people used to go insane when they were staying in this prison because being under t- constant surveillance actually drives you, you have mm. no more privacy. Yeah, no, it's true. I think that we're great. Human beings are adaptable. So there might be a little heightened stress right now. That's why I wrote the book, like try yeah. to help you with it. Um, but then you'll adjust and adapt and realize that, well, there's nothing to be stressed about because it's forced me sometimes to lead a better life and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But also too, is that people will start to understand, wait, nobody's perfect? Okay, you like to have a beer? I like to have a beer. I wanna hire people that like to drink beer, whatever it is, right? Yeah. That drinking a beer is not necessarily bad. It might actually help you get a job. To where it's like, wait, this person's drinking a beer at a Boston Red Sox game? I love the Red Sox. This gives me a little insight of what that person's about. About being authentic. Right, and they fit into our culture because a lot of us like to go to the Red Sox games or whatever it might be. How does this apply to leadership? Uh, Because that's sort of counterintuitive for leaders who've, you know, if you look at the 80s leadership uh, manifestos, it was all about building yourself up as an archetypal hero and and not showing your weaknesses. No, it's great. It's fascinating. We're doing the research for the book Digital Leader is that one of the persons that we looked at was Howard Schultz. So it was a great timing because they had the Great Recession. Starbucks stock price goes down around eight dollars and Schultz is the chairman. He comes back to take over as CEO. And what happens originally when he starts is that the executives, one of his first emails, they leak it. And he's like going (laughs) ballistic. And Wendy is head of PR is like, Howard, the world's changed since you're a CEO. This is the new, the new world. And so he quickly realized, okay, this is with the advent of technology, not only the way we deal with our partners, our, they call them partners, not employees. And so they've got their partners, they've got their customers, we've got to work differently. So then he needed to change. So he was very successful before, but now he turns himself into being a digital leader, and now he's transformed Starbucks from being a coffee company to being a digital company. They take the most transactions online of any company uh, yeah. on the phone. And so now they're not really a coffee company, they're a digital company. What are the qualities of a great digital leader? Yeah, no, I mean, we, we uh, did the five habits. So to make it easy, it's just the acronym stamp because we all have a digital stamp. We all have a digital stamp that's in digital ink, not in pencil. And so the five habits are simplification. It's not about adding stuff, it's about taking away. Mm-hmm. And we talk at length about Mark Zuckerberg. That was a lesson that he learned, uh, how to simplify Facebook. And so that was a, a hard lesson that he had to learn. So it's about simple, T's for true. And so it's like every digital leader understands where they're trying to become. And a way to do that is write down in 140 characters or less. That's the limit on Twitter. But one to two cents is basically what do you want to show up on Google. Um, A's for action, action, attitude, trump everything. So we talked about output versus throughput. So a tip there is just write down the two things of output you need to get do, done every morning. Again, nothing new, but just a reminder to kind of get those done before all the emails and texts <laughs> and tweets come in. Mm. Um, and then M's for map, firm in your destination, but flexible in your path. Uh, Steve Jobs, great example of that, gets forced out at 30, and then he goes, finds the next computer, and then goes on to become CEO of Pixar, and then comes back to Apple, takes it to the level that he wanted to. 
the you know, highest market cap of any company by the time he passed away. And then last but not least, P is for people. Surround yourself with the right people offline, but now also online. Primarily LinkedIn and also what we call posting it forward. So instead of paying it forward, highlighting other people. It's not about you. It's not about pushing your agenda. It's highlight as many people as possible. And that's where you're going to surround yourself with the right people. Aside from Howard Schultz, what other digital leaders do you admire? Yeah, you know, I love, I was able to interview Tony Shea from Zappos for the book. And so what do I like about him? I like to give like a tangible piece. If you haven't read his book, he's always thinking differently. And so what he realized is this word of mouth and customer service is he's not in the business of selling shoes, right? He's in the business of customer service. Absolutely. And so he changed. I mean, I mean to yeah. the point where the service agents will actually help you buy from a competitor if it solves your problem. A competitor, if someone calls up and goes, is, is this pizza joint open till 24 hours? And so he shifted the mindset of we're not doing net promoter score ratings on, hey, get off the call, get off the call, just we're going to reward you if you have a short customer service call because that costs us money. Because you have to be on there for two hours and they're not talking about shoes. I don't care. Just make that person happy. And what he did was he took a lot of marketing dollars, put them in the customer service. Mm -hmm. What that allowed is that if you have an issue under a hundred bucks, they didn't have to talk to a manager. They just took care of it. So it's which, which is ironic because yeah. you know even though they're an online shoe company what they're it's actually an online shoe company that facilitates a human conversation no that's spot on <laughs> no you're so right yeah, yeah that boils it you said it a lot more succinctly than i did that's great <laughs> you say it logo sells more books though. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else oh i mean you got uh steve coffer he's a trip advisor so just the longevity of what he's done there and they're bought by microsoft just keeping true to that brand and, hmm. and seeing it through and being what I really, if you look at, they might have been the first social network when you look at TripAdvisor. Um, so those guys are fascinating. If you look at HubSpot's founders, uh, Brian Halligan and Darmesh, those guys are awesome because they invented inbound marketing so that it wasn't about push marketing. It's like, we're gonna give you valuable content and then you'll come check it out and then you'll check out what we do. And so the, their branding's phenomenal. Mike Volpe's the CMO at HubSpot, so yeah. they're they're fun to watch. They do really disruptive stuff. You you sort of seen an arc on this industry from you know the day when you sort of discovered MySpace to this you know in, in incredibly analytical, big data driven yeah. engagement platforms that we have today. What 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 do you see that's has the, has the essence of it changed, or are we we still fundamentally just talking about relationships? Some things have changed, but a lot of the core tenets. And so when we're looking at the book, we wanted to make sure that book could last more than a year because yeah. a lot of the stuff changes all the time. So we wanted to look at what are those core tenets. And that's why I went over those five habits. Those aren't going to change. Um, relationship building is not going to change. The tool might change, but the way that you go about building those relationships isn't going to change. Um, obviously, ratings and review sites, huge. So it's not just travel. Travel, leisure, entertainment, and Auto is always the fastest moving digitally. And then it rolls downhill to all the other verticals. Why is that? You know, I think it's just in the nature of the beast. Travel is kind of easy to see because it's just, it's sexy, it's consumer, it's personal. Hmm. Um, and I don't know, it's just, they were disrupted the first, I guess, when you disrupt the travel agents with all these different, here's why it is actually, because there's so much money there. Yeah. So there's so much money in both of those, uh, everyone that I mentioned that that's why people go into those first to disrupt them. And there's not a lot of regulation right. and rules. Right. 
Yeah. Well, strangely enough, we happen to be in Vegas. <laughs> so now I'm wondering how much of what you get up to is actually going to turn up on YouTube. <laughs> uh, Eric, it's been really fun hanging out with you. I'm glad we finally got to meet up. Uh, thanks for being on the show. No, thank you. It's an honor to finally see you on stage. It was awesome. <laughs> thanks, man. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds.